This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, where we are going to walk on a tightrope of thin ice across a pit, and I am joined by Pastor Michael to do it. With much fear and trepidation, uh, I guess we have to wade into the waters of the next rise and fall of Mars Hill episode. That's right. We are about to discuss the things we do to women, or we might call it the things CT said about the things we do to women. We are going to go through this this episode. Uh, as those have been listening along with us know, I am only listening to these episode by episode. So you are, I am getting live reacts. Pastor Michael, on the other hand, has seen the future. He knows where the show is going. Yeah. So this is the episode that uh, everybody that I think we've talked to about this has kind of wanted us to discuss while at the same time being the episode that in many ways I think will be most difficult because of the subject matter. So this is the fifth episode and uh, it deals with uh, issues of, of basically like, you know, uh, power dynamics, abuse, uh, sexuality, uh, things like this that uh, makes it very difficult to talk about on a podcast, especially one that is generally a bit more jovial. <laughs> yep. uh, it's it's difficult. This is also, by the way, why we've decided we're not going to have uh, somebody come on. If, if you remember, uh, if you've been listening along, we have mostly had uh, guests come on and join us as we react and discuss this uh, rise and fall of, of Mars Hill. But we decided we just didn't want to do that with mm-hmm. this episode because it was just a little bit too uh potentially difficult uh to you know uh wade through and while we we certainly would we love feedback from listeners we'd love uh even women in the audience to tell us what they thought we thought it could be appropriate we just thought again the subject matter being what it is as sensitive as it is discussing it with someone we don't know could cause that to go strangely or especially with a woman who's not our wife yep and and then even on the even on the sidebar someone who's comfortable because of how potentially hot button this is, we didn't want to kind of hang this around anyone else's head, that they'd put their views out there but us. And so we are here. I'm here, your host, Matt. I'm here with Pastor Michael, and we are going to discuss the things we do to women. And we also, uh, we'll mention this later in the episode, we are going to take a section of this episode, and we are actually going to break it out and not discuss it in this episode, because even though Mark Driscoll found it okay to talk about these things from the pulpit and Christianity Today put it on their podcast, we actually don't even want some of the things that were said by Driscoll in this podcast episode. And so we will give a warning and we will discuss it as best we can. Yeah, it's probably best. Hey, if you've got uh, kids that sometimes listen to this, I don't know if you do, but if you did, uh, probably ideal not to have them around for this particular episode. Especially the breakup, we'll put it that way. So here we go. As we start every episode, let's. I wanted to share with Pastor Michael the, the thesis that came out of this episode. I think that's really important because especially in an episode like this that is going to be as emotionally charged as when when your emotions are going to be running high it's in that moment is when it's maybe most important to say i need to think clearly about it <clears throat> and so the uh the thesis statement i wrote down for this episode was this 
The call to masculinity, which found mass appeal, came with a dark side of underlying implications for women. This gives us a chance to re-examine our evangelical assumptions about sex and gender and where these beliefs may have come from. Again, when I write the thesis, I am trying to write it in a way that I believe Mike Cosper and any fair-minded listener would say, yeah, that is basically the message. Michael, what do you think about how I did there? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think uh, it's even tame. I mean, I you know the the way that the episode portrays these things, I, I feel like is uh, it's clearly driving at a particular agenda, and uh, it does. I mean, it it does a good job at pushing that direction, um, and it you know it does use some uh, some clips and things that are extremely difficult. To listen to yes. and so you know i i feel like that's a, a very fair, rep, fair representation like i said i go out of my way to be fair-minded even here's the like the one sentence byline of how christianity today describes this episode when churches use sexuality to foster and motivate male commitment women find themselves on the losing end right so you saying that's tame right compared to what they wrote my explanation was even a bit tame yeah absolutely well, I think the best thing we can do is start going through the clips. We're going to start with a short clip that comes at the beginning of the episode where Driscoll is apparently speaking to some of the women in the church. Uh, we're just going to listen to Driscoll. Uh, but I will say Mike Cosper found this particular clip beyond the pale. Like this was just outrageous. So we'll see what Pastor Michael and I think. Hill in 2001. You may be able to show me a family where the kids are well-loved and the wife works full-time and everything is great. And I will show you a thousand that are not, and I will tell you that the majority should speak loudly. And in this church, that's the way it's going to be. I won't lie to you. Because I am responsible for the families. And I'm responsible for the conditions of the homes. I have to admit, I find the audacity of that clip pretty astounding. To say with such rigid authority, that's the way it's going to be. All right, so let's stop here. So one of the things I find so striking about this introductory clip is, again, as I listened to this episode, I found, because I knew everyone had found this episode controversial, I listened to that clip and I went, that's pretty remarkably tame. It is very tame, <laughs> even for Driscoll. So why is Cosper so, why does he find that claim audacious, Pastor Michael? And do you agree? on any level that's an interesting question um so it's it does come across i don't know if it's simply because you know i've been kind of on this journey once again uh listening to more driscoll through this podcast and so i naturally am i'm more on edge mm -hmm. to the potential for sure kind of uh the the abuse of power um like that that uh this kind of uh statement of you know, this is not a, he's not saying, I, I don't know the context. I, I should say that, but you know, he's not saying, you know, here is what the word of God says. Therefore, this is how you are to live. Driscoll does say, um, this is the way it's going to be because I'm responsible for the families mm -hmm. here. And there's a sense in which that's true. He's a pastor. He is to shepherd these families. I, I think it's also very possible that the reason that uh, it sounds beyond the pale uh, for Cosper is because kind of in modern uh, egalitarian and industrial society, the idea that somebody would say it is better for uh, a woman not to work, but to 
stay home and raise a family does seem beyond the pale. Right. Like the entire world around us is built against that very idea. This this is the question, because I think there is one sense where you could read this claim as audacious in a way that now, again, that came from an entire talk, maybe cost, which they didn't include. So and apparently it's not one that's readily available. So I, I couldn't find it. So you could read this from, I think, what you're talking about, which would be it is audacious to claim he even says there are women who can go to work and fulfill all the responsibilities they have as being a wife, a mother who are homeward oriented, but most can't. I think that's probably a generally true statement. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and because of that, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to tell you what to do. He is not basing, he's basing a charge as a pastor based on some kind of thing he's observing in the culture, which is obviously not what you want to do it. Now, you do need to, you know, charge men and women to, to fulfill their roles. However, we, we if, if we're limited by the word of God, can't bind the conscience of a woman yes. of exactly what it would mean. Because if, if what Driscoll is tra- trying to say is women should be homeward oriented, I do think that that is a, uh, especially wives and mothers, that's a basically biblical statement. However, I think it it is possible he's going too far. And I do think the other way of it could be taken audaciously, and this is in one where it's a bad thing, would be one, Driscoll making a, a announcement of truth, right? People not liking a, a pastor on any issue saying this is how it's going to be. I think that's pretty unpopular. And two, especially in issues of egalitarianism. Yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, so I, I guess you're right. It could go either way. Um, right. I, you know, it is, uh, it does seem like such a, like easily, it's such an easy thing to fall into for uh, somebody who is being reactionary against the culture, right. To, to have this idea that, okay, well, um, you know, if I see problems with, uh, you know, uh, mothers in the workforce, instead of caring for their children or something like that, mm-hmm. therefore, the answer is to, you know, uh, uh, make some kind of mandate from the pulpit that that's not going to be acceptable in this church. I think that we would probably say, hey, you know, if you see that with somebody, hey, maybe it'd be best to go and like counsel them, shepherd yeah. them, you know, care for them, find out why this is happening. Um, but yeah, anyway, well, I mean, we can get into those kinds of details uh, some other time. I think that's a valid conversation about what this looks like in kind of a modern industrialized society. Um, so Cosper talks about how if you just look at the the overall discussions of marriage and women, there aren't. It's not a huge emphasis. But what he says is that marriage and dating pops up in sermons throughout the Bible. Which, as a listener of Mark Driscoll, yes, yeah. we could be going through Genesis and we're going to get stuff on dating, stuff on marriage, and and again, we have said that's probably not good preaching. But I think this is one important thing to say as we talk about that. I think this was certainly a feature and not a bug. Yeah. This was attractive. Yeah, absolutely. This is men and women. This is what they wanted. This made going through Corinthians, Genesis, all of these books. Um, I, I mean, I remember, I remember one in particular when I listened to him preach all the way through Genesis on Genesis 6, where it talks about the sons of God marrying. Uh, no, the uh, sons of God and marrying the daughters, daughters of men, men. Mm-hmm. marrying daughters of men. Yep. And he preached for 
40 minutes. I mean, obviously he preached for more than an hour as he always did, but like 40 minutes was on making good decisions in dating and marriage. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, it was, and and I still remember this sermon. Right? Yeah. This you still was, remember it. No, it's, I, I mean, I feel like that is what he talked about all the time. Yes. And, and that makes sense. And maybe we could say that makes sense. I mean, he, if he has a young church, so um, as a pastor, when I am preaching, there are going to be elements of application that come up time and time again, uh, particularly if the church is in a particular place where I think, oh, this is a particular sin that we're dealing with. This is a particular issue. Maybe, hey, we do have a lot of young people and they need help and guidance as far as dating and finding spouses and marriage and raising children. Um, and so like, it makes sense that that would come up over and over again, potentially. Uh, but it does seem, especially uh, as you you know get into more of this episode, that this was something that was done even at times ex explicitly to uh, grow an audience, to mm -hmm. grow influence because sex sells. Yes. So now we're going to listen to uh, one of the, I think one of the pretty characteristic commentaries you get in this from an outsider. It's by Kristen Dumez, who wrote the book, Jesus and John Wayne, which listeners, if you really want us uh, if sorry, if you really want Pastor Michael to read and review Jesus and John Wayne, please get us to 100 followers on Twitter, and I'm sure <laughs> we can make that happen. If we got 100 followers on Twitter, I would think about it. So we're going to listen to uh, Miss Dumez and her thoughts on this issue that come early in the episode. So the ideal of male protector really comes to the fore during the Cold War era, and and then it kind of makes sense. This is Kristen. <laughs> Look. Let's just take a pause right there. What? <laughs> the ideal of male protector comes to the fore in the Cold War. Yay, nay, or nuance. That's going to be a, a heavy nay. I just, I can't imagine <laughs> that being said as like a, like a valid, like historical claim. Um, like when you have entire, like, you know, the entire idea of being a, a knight in the Middle Ages or, or something like this, uh, often based around some of these ideals. Um, the the protection of the feminine or something like that and like this is this is just simply not true right definitely not true um, now maybe and I I've not read the book um, please don't make me but <laughs> <laughs> hundred followers but maybe if I wonder if you could try to spin this in the best possible light and say uh, there's there's a particular kind of like uh, Americana male idealism of like you know the john wayne <laughs> yeah maybe maybe it is like this john wayne like to protect the woman but even that um i don't know still like, better yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. let's let's go with men not protecting anyone else yeah right. let's make that oh boy all right well let's see what else she has yeah, to say yeah yeah i just wanted to point out that that was that was an audacious I, claim. I laughed. You, <laughs> I laughed audibly when I first heard that <laughs> yeah, because it course. sounds so absurd. That is that is an absurd claim. I yeah. All right, we'll continue. Cobes Demay, historian and author of Jesus and John Wayne. Because you've got this military threat, communism, which is perceived as it's anti-God, it's anti-family, and it's anti-American. So all of the things that conservative evangelicals held dear. And so in the early Cold War era, and really throughout the Cold War, we see evangelicals who have embraced Christian nationalism 
also embrace a military defense of Christian nationalism, and they hold this together with their support of, you know, what we might call gender traditionalism. The idea that, you know, men and women are given very distinct roles in the role of, of protector and uh, is given to men. And men are equipped to do this work and they are called to use violence when necessary in order to fulfill their God-given duties, right? This is kind of the structure of society. This is the structure of families, and this is God-ordained. So, Pastor Michael, did she, not meaning to, did she actually explain the God-ordained order of the world? Yeah, it's weird because (laughs) she's talking about this, like, this is uh, such this weird, like, you know, historically aberrant idea that comes, you know, in the time of the Cold War and kind of infiltrates the church. And I'm listening and I'm like, honestly, it sounds pretty good. Right. <laughs> that, that all sounds about like, it sounds close to right. Sure. Could you twist that and make it like, we're going to see some of like, could you twist it and make it this like weird kind of machoism or like, you know, uh, remove women's agency or something like that. Yeah. Like that can happen, but that doesn't change the fundamental uh, importance of one of the roles of men being that of protectors, protectors of their families, of churches, of society in general. Um, This is one of the roles of fathers and brothers, of course. And again, read any account of any war ever. It is not a uniquely Cold War thing that the men were like, we are going to defend our land and our family. And even like, we are going to defend like a a Christian cause. Like that's not even like a unique to the Cold War thing. It may be one of the most recent times it's happened. Even hearing it when, you know, she talks about, you know, there was this desire to defend America from communism, which was anti-God, anti-America and all this. I'm like, okay, that, (laughs) I mean, I guess, I guess sign me up. I I don't yet hear a problem with this. Yeah. I I do not know how you can argue when Paul says, right, if a man does not care for his family, he's worse than a non-believer. Adam is is put in the garden to guard and work it. Like these things are so obviously. Even just physically, I mean, natural revelation itself helps us to know these things, which is why down through human history, every culture, even non-believing cultures have understood, oh yeah, like men Men are the more violent ones. They're the bigger ones. They're the ones with more testosterone. They yeah. are the ones that fight more. If, a, if there's going to be a battle, it's going to be with men. That just seems like an obvious thing yeah. that you Look, could only deny at a time like this. I think we can announce another restless show position that men are allowed to use violence when necessary to defend the good, the true, and the beautiful. <laughs> yes, right. When necessary. Of yes, course. of course. Yeah. Now, is it ever... by, by very definition yes. when necessary? Yes. <laughs> like that's what's even shocking about it. It's not like it was a, a violent agenda. It was like, well, when necessary. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Like this this show, we don't agree. We're not John Piper here. We we don't have a question if we kill an intruder, right? This is this is definitional. The 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 defense of the innocent is a good thing. Yes. Now and and how is this abused? This is abused in saying that the church needs to take up arms and extend the kingdom, which, again, the, the, the problem with even, like, trying to take her point is, like, what would be the, like, the true abuse of that is I just don't know people who talk the way she's claiming, like, 
she's insinuating yeah like most I, people I've, talk right i've never i've never seen that like you know kind of typical picture of like this this uh guy who is taking up arms for no reason or something like that yeah. and so if it is happening i think she if maybe this really maybe there was a kind of weird christianizing of america against Which actually, russia so let me say like there was i mean so when like there are definitely elements of like this weird kind of like patriotic religion yeah that includes it's like you know god yeah. guns and country uh-huh. like this weird kind of machismo thing that is it's far from orthodoxy or, orthodoxy it's far from, it's far from christian yeah but it does like it just assumes christianity that's still it is a major issue today i mean there's no doubt about that right so when when you have like you know patriotic church services and things like that you definitely see this so i mean she she's got a point also show position no patriotic church services (laughs) uh yeah we're, we're good with that too i think that i just i just feel like this is like 30 years too late i just don't think this is what people talk about but what i do think what I do suspect, and as I listen to this more, I believe my suspicions were confirmed, that how are we going to bring down traditional gender roles? We're going to tie it to the great boogeyman. Again, as Pastor Michael said, there is some real concern of it, of Christian nationalism. Yeah, We are going to say, we're going to tie it to this thing that right now is very popular to try and beat up. And we're going to try and sink that those things together right yeah so this is the problem this is the problem with believing in any kind of like male headship or roles of men and women is that it makes you a christian nationalist (laughs) right and i i don't know i guess we are then so let's go listen to actually driscoll talk about the men's ministries he was familiar with and i thought well great men's meeting you know in a football stadium this this will work and I get there, and the first thing I see is all the leaders are wearing pastel colors, and the guys are up on the stage <laughs> singing love songs to Jesus. And next thing I know, a guy kind of preaches, and all of a sudden, I've got a bunch of guys I've never met crying and hugging me. I was like, what in the world is this? This, You know, I've been to football games here, and they don't do this at halftime. Pastor Michael, <laughs> uh, how, how close was Driscoll to uh, his his seeming i don't know what to call it his his disgust yeah his his disgust at men's ministries so i don't know i mean i didn't grow up in this era of you know promise keepers and things like that i remember promise keepers being a thing yeah but i don't like i mean i've never attended any kind of promise keepers event or or anything of that nature it is uh absolutely uh seemingly to me anyway the case that many uh, church men's ministries were really like groups trying to get men more in touch with their feminine side, quote unquote, Mm. like, Hey, men, men don't typically do some of these other things that are more like seen as feminine. Um, And the church is really big about these things, you know, the stuff like the, you know, the hugging and crying and all of this. Therefore, we need something to kind of like get men to be able to do that. Mm. Um, now, like, you know, there, there has been problems. So what's really interesting about this is like, there are these problems of like a kind of, of like false masculinity or like machismo. That's like, you know, yeah, I never cry about anything. And that makes me a man. And, you right. know, like I'm, you know, I'm just tough and like, like hard hearted, like, listen, like David danced before the ark of the Lord. And he wept and he cried and he's a man after God's own heart. 
the, the idea that uh, like masculinity means not being emotional. Um, it means like, you know, I'm just super into sports or something like that's silly. And right. I think for a time, like there, like that was big. And so there was this often unhelpful desire to try to get men to connect more with the church. That there was a misunderstanding of why men didn't like the things of the church. Mm. Um, the church in many ways had become feminized and still to this day, you know, very much so has become feminized in that uh, particular feminine virtues, which are virtues and good things are held up as the ideals. And those things which are like more true of men and our masculine virtues, such as, for instance, aggression, such as like, uh, you know, competition, um, things like this, even maybe just focusing more on like the, the physical, the body, the like real world things. Um, these were these were downplayed or even at times considered to be sinful. And so it makes sense then that like if, you know, something is hyper emotional, for instance, that there's going to be a lot of men. Who just don't connect to that? Not because men aren't emotional or can't be emotional, but because the way that men are emotional is very different than the typical way that being emotional is spoken of or, or used. And so um, like that has happened. And maybe at times there's been this kind of reaction against that. And I also think then what Driscoll does is he comes in and he goes back the other way a lot, right? Like he, he definitely has that machismo of like this kind of false, like this is what being a man is like. Um, and then I'm going to yell at you. And now I'm going to yell at you, except that he had some things right. You know, like he had some elements of it right, which is why so many young men did flock around him. There were elements that were true. There were elements that were noble. There were elements that were biblical. And so that brought this, you know, kind of, you know, influx of interest, particularly by men. Hmm. And I think that we, again, this is beyond the scope of what we're doing, would probably end up saying the same thing about the promise keepers. I think promise keepers probably in a day of seeing the divorce rates skyrocket in the day of seeing the proliferation of pornography said, we need to call men Let's do to something. keep their promises, yeah. right? Men who are disconnected from their families, disconnected from the church, right? You can see how these things are just kind of always on, on this pendulum. So yep. yeah, everything just keeps reacting against the last thing. And there's just this constant reactionary spirit. Welcome to the whole of the last couple of centuries, particularly in America. <laughs> That's right. Let's go to another clip. For echoes of this earlier ideology, the, the idea that uh, feminism had emasculated American manhood and made the nation vulnerable to attack by radical Islam. And it's up to Christian men to defend America. And it's up to Christian men to raise strong boys into strong men because this emasculating and all the emasculating powers of secular culture and liberal culture and feminism have eroded the strength and masculinity of American manhood. Now I'll be honest. I don't know if we're gonna keep this section I, I just wrote this clip down because I was so mind blown again, that someone is explaining that the predominant view of nine 11 is that we were being feminized and therefore were attacked by a more masculine religion. And therefore we needed to go fight it as Christian men. I was alive for this one, Kristen. Right. Yeah. I do not remember that at all. <laughs> I don't remember it being preached. I don't remember it being said. Um, even the feeling, the idea, like yeah. even the, I, the idea. idea. <laughs> now, so let me say this, uh, and maybe, you know, 
maybe she, this it is seems like she was coming this. after what you were saying i know i did it did it did seem like it, <laughs> it was as great. soon as it i said something, she's like oh yeah by the way you're wrong about yeah. everything yep uh, so uh it is true that western civilization has become feminized in a lot of ways where again like it, this is like this is something that has happened um it's not wrong for somebody to point out that there are um you know religions like islam that are more dominant than secular liberalism right it like this is why islam is currently on the rise in the west why is this well it, it's largely because it is a dare i say better worldview it is a better worldview than the the kind of typical um you know secular liberal worldview that we've been fed most of our lives and right. so um like there again there is like elements of this that are like oh yeah she's right there are also elements that are like whoa 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 you're way overstating your case uh, and you're also saying some things that I'm like, I'm in total agreement with, and you're saying it mockingly. Right. That, that is how I felt. I've just felt like, and I feel so bad uh, that I've just been like the yes, Chad mean, I know. yes, <laughs> I know. like, uh, on, on most of the statements. Now, what's really unfortunate is because they had a whole team of people combing through Driscoll's, uh, entire recorded library, they found this little clip that has crept into Christianity. Islam is a masculine religion. That's why they, they run an airplane into the World Trade Center and we meet uh, in uh, Central Park in New York and we get men like Elton John to play the piano and cry. That's our response as a nation. Gay men with wigs cry because mean men with facial hair beat us. So that clip... <laughs> We, we'll take this moment to say that as we go forward, if we laugh, it, 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 it we're, really we're uncomfortable. is, it really is inappropriate to laugh. Like to all the people we who agree. like the tone, it is just so uncomfortable. That clip is just, it's so horrible. uncomfortable to listen to. Is that, that, that was the sign to me of, uh-oh, <laughs> here we go. And, and again, what's unfortunate about this is, is in this way, this is one of the criticisms driscoll deserves and maybe other people deserve is with clips like that you you are basically going to earn us all the criticism all the heat all the all the flack we've said that maybe they shouldn't be giving you've just said we're going to go ahead and open the door to this yeah and this is so uh aaron Rand has pointed this out that you know a lot of us and we've maybe done this some on the show um who are complementarian in in some capacity and uh we say things like, well, you know, like Driscoll doesn't represent us. Um, Aaron Rennes pointed out that, well, actually, like he did. And so like, we need to own that and realize that like for a lot of people, like the voice of complementarianism, the voice of what it meant to be a man, uh, particularly in the church was Mark Driscoll for a, like a decent amount of time. Yes. And he was popularized by a lot of people that today would now come back and make podcasts that say, whoa, 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 this guy was horrible. But like, we were a part of this. So yes. um, it, like, we, we have to admit that and we have to accept that um, and, and be willing to look back and say, okay, well, what exactly was it that we were drawn to? And why were we wrong? Why did like, why was it foolish? And that's what basically our entire podcast is about. Right. <laughs> it's, hey, right. there were some right things, but also there were a lot of problems. And I will say, as an as a super avid Mark Driscoll listener, right, which I believe I've proved myself by pulling a sermon from a Genesis series right today. You still remember it. I never heard. It. This was not this was not a thing that was 
regular, at least when he was big enough for me to be hearing him from a distance. Yeah. This was not like he was saying this regularly. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if this was, you know, I mean, how did they say how much longer this was after 9-11? It, was, it must have been somewhat. Soon. I mean, because this is I mean, this is a long time ago. I mean, this right. was before Mars Hill was really like, you know, cruising in the numbers and getting on iTunes and all of this. I mean, right. this is a long time before that. And so what we kind of run into at this point in this episode, and we're, and we're going to skip a section and I'll, I'll explain to Pastor Michael why we kind of run into this idea that and as we've heard in previous episodes. The, the, they, they feel like there's this contradiction of Driscoll is actually like, seems very, in his personal life, very drawn to protecting and helping women, single moms, right? He's kind of willing to do anything for them, especially early on in his personal life. And he preaches this way. And so some are feel very valued by him and others feel diminished. And so it, it's kind of like, well, what's the, there's this conundrum. We can't solve it. Well, here's, here's, here's my simple thing, right? Is it's it's the the podcast, and I'm bringing this up for this reason. The podcast is asking you to judge Driscoll's actions based on the feelings of the women that are they're interviewing. Which I will note, I think they only interview women about what. And again, I know that that is the technically politically correct thing to do. And again, if we have women listeners who'd like to send us their thoughts, we you know we'd be very open to them and we'd like to share them. But again, it is this very. It's our very, it's our, it's a very American in 2021 thing that we can only have women talk about this. But the problem isn't that women are reacting and telling us how they feel about this, but it's that we are to judge the rightness and wrongness of this based on their reactions. The question has to be, what of this is in line with the word of God? What of, of this is out, out of the word of God? That's how we, that's how we can, that is how we should be. That's how we solve the conundrum. Yep. And And that's what, that's one of the main things that we want to do while we're walking through this podcast is, I mean, basically what we want to do is we want to be a help in discernment. So trying to like walk through the difficult waters of, okay, well, some of this sounds right, but obviously there's a lot of it that's not right. And okay, this is extreme. It makes me laugh because I'm uncomfortable, not because it's funny, but like, what, what do I do? And then the people that they bring on are saying things that also sound absolutely absurd. So how am I supposed to navigate that? And that's one of the things we're trying to do is right. try to walk through literally basically live together. I mean, we're just yeah. like, recording this as, as we are in, in essence, reacting to it. I've had a little bit more time, but I mean, we're just trying to work through this together um, and figure out where exactly is that line of faithfulness in the midst of it. So the next section of the podcast which maybe maybe we'll just look back on what's the kind of first 25 minutes of this podcast. I think the first 25 minutes of this podcast were just basically textbook projection, right? This is them wanting to claim that complementarianism has that seedy underbelly, right? That this is that, I mean, right? This is why we're tying it. This is why we have to talk about his comments about 9-11 and the male protector of, of Christian nationalism. And I just think that this is them trying to explain what attracted, and they're saying that this is kind of what was attracting people to it. The second, and this is why I'm dividing it from the second half, where we really get into the clips of Driscoll talking in his sermons, because that's where, for me, just the, the wheels come off. And, and I, I was, you know, I was in shock for the second half of this. Yeah, it's rough. But why I think this is projection is I think they're trying to explain this all basically through the lens of 
um, how I see the world through gender and politics. And they're saying all the people who were attracted to Driscoll saw the world through gender and politics and Driscoll only saw the world through gender and politics. And they're, so they're saying, I, I basically, cause that is how our world sees the world. Today. Yep. We right. use gender and politics for everything. So because I see the world through gender and politics, therefore these people were looking at things the same way. And the reason why Driscoll did that, or these men did that, or right. these people believed this was because they have this particular view of kind of gender politics, this kind of white Christian nationalism. Right. Whereas, again, I, I, as a young man, was very attracted to this. And also, that was at the time where I was like, I would describe myself the most politically disinterested I've ever been. Like, I, you couldn't have, you couldn't have told me one thing going on in, with any political issue. But I was dialed into Driscoll. Why? Because he was calling me to what was a biblical view of manhood. Now we are admitting there are problems and that I was, I was, had a lot of immaturities, but what I'm saying is that me desiring to grow in my walk with God. Now, maybe I was misguided and I certainly was in some ways. Th this is why it's projection. Cause I wasn't anywhere. And I, now Driscoll may have been on, on their level, you know, I, you know, there's some showmanship, whatever, but that's why I think this first 25 minutes is just projection. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why we go back to, uh, and you could go back and listen to the episode we did on why you should not be a Donatist, right? right. Don't be a Donatist. Uh, because uh, the, the Donatist, you know, idea or the kind of, you know, today we might just call it this kind of uh, perfectionism or idealism that says, well, because they said some wrong things or did some wrong things, or because this leader that I trusted has now gone off the rails, therefore nothing that we could get from this person is acceptable at all. Right. And that's simply not true. We have a whole podcast about the problems of new Calvinism, the problems of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. Like we're, we're not, we're not saying that these people were perfect by any means. However, there was good. Right. There was good that God brought out of it. There was good teaching in part. And, and I think that, I honestly think that part of why our audience probably keeps listening to us is because we say that. Right, which is what kind of no one's willing to say maybe, at this point. Maybe. I don't know why. Let us know. Follow us on Twitter so Michael <laughs> will read Jesus and John Wayne. So as we go on, uh, they start playing Driscoll's preaching. They start with the famous uh, men and marriage sermon, which we are not going to play any clips of because that will be its own restless episode. We will do our own reaction to men and marriage. But what I do want to play is some interesting context they shared about men and marriage. Yeah, I was preaching that sermon and uh, my notes are usually very minimal. I make up most of the cross references and illustrations. They just sort of happen in the moment. I'm more of an extemporaneous preacher. And so I just kind of got fired up. A little later, he compared it to how he does counseling sessions with men. So uh, yeah, I just started thinking about those guys and all of a sudden what was the sermon just sort of shifted into a counseling session uh, that everybody got to watch because usually that's how I go at those guys when the doors are closed. Well, it turns out there were five services that Sunday, and I was able to confirm that Mark screamed just like this at all five. Someone who was intimately familiar with all of these operations confirmed that the whole thing was planned and rehearsed. It was made by Mark for TV, and I'm yet to meet someone for whom it was a pivot point in their life. They're probably out there, don't get me wrong. I just haven't heard from them myself. 
I suppose there's an echo in it to that Saturday morning. This, for me, was a pretty big mic drop. <laughs> that is so bad, right? That, this It just shows that like so much of this was just a scam. That this was, this was five services. And essentially what this is and what he's, I think, goes on to say is that this was the the kind of mass market version of the kind of talk they talk about in the last episode he gave to his men in his church. Yeah. So this was trying to bring that to a larger audience on screen. This is bad. Let me tell you. So this, like anytime I hear this kind of stuff, this, it just is so disingenuous to me. Mm. Um, I, when I was uh, in seminary, I worked for the marketing department of the school that I was at and I would, one of the things I did is I recorded the chapel services and they would often bring people in who would speak for the college on the one hand, and then the seminary uh, on the next day, and they would do a chapel service on different days. And so I would be at all of them, right? So I would see somebody speak twice very often, and I would record uh, what they're saying. Now, it doesn't bother me if somebody gives the same lecture or the same talk or preaches the same text twice. It doesn't even bother me if you like manuscript a sermon and repeat it, that doesn't bother me at all. But there was one guy um, who came once and and I like I had really liked um, just his preaching style was just different than I had ever heard. Um, so I was interested uh, in that. Um, he is somebody who like in a somewhat high profile way recently left the SBC, actually took his church out of the SBC uh, because apparently the SBC is racist or something. We'll have somebody on to talk about the SBC. We'll ask yeah, him yeah, yeah. if that's true. Um, but, uh, this guy, uh, I remember him getting to like this point of like, you know, climax in the sermon and he's preaching and it feels powerful. And one of the things he says is, all right, well, I wasn't going to say this today. I didn't plan to say this, but the Holy spirit's working in me. And then he just started to speak about Christ and he started to preach Christ. And it was, it was like a good climax of a sermon. It was fine. The next day, uh, he preaches the same sermon, and he says the same thing. I wasn't planning to do this. I wasn't intending to do this. The Holy Spirit's driving me to do this, basically. And I thought, well, that is literally just a lie. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> is, that's what we call right? that. Yeah. Uh, because you 100% planned this and wrote it down and prepared it because I have it on video two different dates. <laughs> right. And obviously Driscoll's, at, Driscoll's, and now again, we'll, we'll react to this. I don't think Driscoll says, now the Holy Spirit's telling me. Now in, in his interview afterwards, he's lying. Yes. Right. <laughs> when he takes the interview, he makes it sound way different. But even that, even that yeah, it just is such a weird it's produced. Um, it's, it's such produced. a weird produced thing when you would try to rile yourself up emotionally toward everybody and do that over and over and over and over again. Now, I have some interesting news for you, Pastor. Uh-oh. Michael. Are you going to Cos- shout at me? No. Are you gonna- <laughs> no. <laughs> Mike Cosper says there's no one whose life he knows who's been changed by this sermon. Pastor Michael, you are looking at one of the people. And I shared this sermon with everyone. And I have at least two friends I contacted that would say they'd be ready to come and say that sermon. This was a pivot point. This was a major pivot yeah, point. I remember first hearing it, by the way. I remember being like shocked. I, this may have been one of the times where you and I crossed paths because I was sending this to everyone I knew saying we all we all need to get up and we need to to basically change the direction. Because it wasn't that I I wasn't married. I wasn't dating anyone. But it was that. That's what's so interesting, by the way, listening back to this, because I remember this happening. I remember it being said. Uh, however, 
I didn't remember like the full context because I'm like, oh, none of those applied to me. Like none of the things he says applied to me at all. Right. When he was doing this and when I first heard it. And when I think, I think what was ending up so impactful was one, just being like, there's someone willing to, who there is a pastor who would be willing to kick the crap out of me if I was in sin, which, which inherently is a someone, especially probably many of the young men with guilty consciences. No. Two, I think what you see in the sermon, I think if you're a young man is it's like, there are two paths kind of diverging a path towards godly maturity and a path towards where the point where you would be in a church service needing to hear things about abuse and treating women and children this way. And I think you, in many ways, and I think for many men, it was, I'm going to do whatever I have to, to steer. I don't want to go down that road. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was a, a massive pivot point in my life. Yeah. I, I can remember where I was when I first heard it. I immediately listened to it again. Um, Ironically, I was in Las Vegas. Um, Really? Uh, And it was you heard it here first on the podcast. Yeah, and it was a <laughs> it was a massive change for me. And, and and now again, it was at a time where I was growing in maturity in many ways. So hard to you know how to correlate right what came from. Yeah, this. so but, th- that is interesting because there are a lot of things that we look back on and we we like see as major pivot points. But like apart from the other ways <sighs> that God was already working, right. the other ways that things were already you know uh, in place that you know it would not have been a pivot point. Right. 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 So that, that is a big clip that they play to kind of illustrate the direction Driscoll's preaching go. Then they play this clip. My wife, for example, came out the other day and said, how do I look in these jeans? I said, thank you, Jesus, for my smoking hot wife. And so that is, uh, that's the new theme, at least for this season at the Driscoll house. So that was interesting. So Pastor Michael, what do you think about this? which unlike the 9-11 thing, this was a repeated thing Driscoll talked like. Yeah, constantly uh, saying this kind of stuff about his own life, sex life, his his wife uh, is... Yeah, my, I think the my hot wife, I yep. think was a common way he Just spoke. Constantly. Um, so, I mean, I think that's probably pretty common amongst men, particularly men who uh, like speak regularly, like, uh, you know... Um, that they would, you know, uh, speak highly of their wife in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, what is interesting, especially in context, is like the, you know, we kind of talked about this like false machismo. There's also this thing that this is true of a lot of evangelical like pastors, that there's this weird um, like constant, uh, I need to constantly be talking about how attractive my wife is um versus like how like i'm just this big dumb oaf and like you know she's this like miraculous godsend of like just everything about her is perfect or whatever and so that i would put in like the the area of like this weird kind of machismo it's just we it's just weird like it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh usually fit it's not like it, it's just strange i also think it's really cheap language it's just a really cheap way to just like talk about it. And that's one of the things they point out in this episode is that there is just this, like, like, you know, here, his wife becomes a prop for his kind of machismo. Yeah. And, and again, I'll say, how did I read this at the time? Was Driscoll is using the kind of language I would use 
which was what a yep, right. pretty when immature nineteen like year old would use to like to compliment. I obviously because I was a, a Christian, I was like, oh, that's right for marriage, right? That is how I would compliment my wife. Now, again, the question of you know how right wanting to praise your wife, whatever, obviously wanting to do that in almost any regard from the pulpit that I'm going to like take time in a sermon on Sunday, even like, even to say like innocuous things, my wife's such a great baker. You should all right. Like that. I'm just going to like kind of go on a, on a weird rambling, like, yeah, my wife came out and she made a pie and whoa, you know, like just, it's just weird. It is, it is obviously not fit for the pulpit. I, I do wonder, I do wonder, I have no idea uh, because I, again, and this, this literally might just, again, it reflects on the imagery I had that it seemed to me at the time, it seemed a hundred percent innocuous. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I would never like today, even like remember that this was like a common thing as though it were like a major, you know, problem or, or anything like that. And maybe what they're saying is that that's the issue, right? right? The issue is that we wouldn't have even picked up on it. And I, and, and to that point, I will grant them that point. And because we are getting to the point in this podcast where we will be granting them a lot of good points of a lot of criticism. And right now we are actually going to pause this episode. We are going to discuss the more explicit, sexually explicit things Driscoll said. We're going to break that out. We're going to decide if we want to release that on yeah, our own. Right. <laughs> we don't even know. Yeah. And and then we'll bring back this episode. If we kind of said anything that we think would help analyze this, we'll kind of re-say it. Um, and if we if we decide it's if it's fit for the restless podcast feed at all, uh, we'll release it in a separate one so that you would know that that episode is um, I mean, again, these are things said from a Christian pulpit, <laughs> but we are not fit for your family. Uh, and, and, and you may not even want to listen at all, which is great, which is what I would call great promotion. Yeah. So we just finished listening to a few of the more salacious clips, uh, clips that made us very uncomfortable clips that were uncomfortable for us to talk about, which again, you will be able to find in a, in another episode. I think everything we said is appropriate to to release, what do you think, Pastor Michael? I, I think the conversation in general may be helpful in light of the pornographic times we're living in and in light of what a lot of us who followed Mark Driscoll heard. Yeah. So um, it's still uh, something that, you know, I would recommend. Like, this is not like a family listening nope. kind of a thing. Um, it's, I mean, it is uh, more mature just in the kinds of things that we talked about because we were talking about, um, you know, uh, these these things that Driscoll said about sex and marriage. And so just be aware of that. We, and, and we use words. I never thought I would record myself safe. Right. Yeah. And, and so um, I, again, I, I think we, we do, we did our level headed best to discuss it in a level way. Now, let me share with you a few of the kind of important things we got out of it. One, when you listen to these clips of Driscoll discussing sex and men's desires and women's responsibilities to fulfill them from the pulpit, all of the flack, right? All of what this kind of episode has been leading up to, it is all deserved right now. Because I, I mean, I think they may, I don't know where I got this. Either I wrote this down or they get, did it that that somehow we're, we're kind of describing women, the ideal woman as a stay-at-home porn star, which is such a, a cheapening, um, a 
kind of a humiliating position to put women in that those yeah. two things are, are, are what makes a godly woman. And, and, and I said, and I'm saying now for our main episode with anyone who wants to condemn that, I will join with you that that is nothing. I want my wife or my daughter to aspire to, or be taught that is their Christian duty. What do you think, Pastor Michael? Yeah. I mean, obviously I agree. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it is just a gross way to portray uh, men and women. It is uh, unhelpful. It's unbiblical. So we're, we're right there. And this is a great um, opportunity maybe to um, say like one of the things that we want to practice in part again with this podcast is saying, yeah, this was really wrong when it was really wrong and not feel like we have to like cover it up and be like, well, no, because we kind of liked some of the things this guy did, or because he was like part of the gospel coalition, or because he's like a complimentarian, he was like in our tribe. We need to say everything about this guy was great. And we're not going to like back down. Nope. This was, this was really bad. Which is why we are willing to obviously not at, not at this degree, we are willing to, uh, yeah, bring the same kind of correction to people currently walking in these tribes, which is, which is something, but, but back to this, I, I think another thing we talked about is really, really what was wrong with this. And, and we pointed out there were, we'll talk about the pastoral aspect and we'll talk about actually the the sin that was actually not being addressed. So I think when you were, when you paint such explicit pictures of what you must do, right? This wasn't, this wasn't advice. This wasn't even off color jokes or stories. This was what you must do in marriage. And in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you, when you discuss that one, what you are doing is two things. You're going way beyond the scriptures. You've gone just so far beyond the, the scriptural commands of, of husbands and wives to come together. You have gone beyond the commands of, of the, of sex being a, a thing that unites men and women. You're, you are, you're, you're, you're off. Now, the, the big problem is, is that when you hear this though, this is a destructive thing for probably many normal, pretty healthy marriages, because everything you're going to hear is is, is certainly not all of it is reflective of your marriage. And now you have to wonder what's wrong. What am I not getting? What am I not giving? Right. That this is a problem. And, and I think, and again, this is that we said, this is the underlying problem and pastor Michael called it gluttony. And that's the exact right word is it's this view that is so common in our culture that I have to find a way to wring every ounce, every drop of pleasure I can out of everything. And that includes food, right? That includes just everything. That's why like our entertainment is so out. out binge watching, binge yeah. watching. I mean, this is, it's literally just gluttony, right? It's, it's like, I have to, I have to fill every little bit of each and every little desire that I have. And if I don't like, if, if I don't, there's something wrong. Right. And, and, and this is quite obviously applied to sex and is actually something, this is actually a sinful attitude that, that actually, no, your desires, just because you bring a desire into marriage doesn't make that desire normal, healthy, or godly. Right. And that we even talk about, we talked about how this is a, this issue of, of inordinate desire of lust is actually something that the gospel, this is actually what you need the gospel to change. You this need is Jesus exactly right. Like that void, it can't be filled just by marriage or whatever. So we talked in the bonus about how, like really what, what uh, Driscoll seems to paint is this picture where 
like all of your, all of these deepest desires, they will be satisfied in marriage or they should be. And if they're not, somebody's And they insane. can be done. And they can be. Um, and that is obviously twisted, but this is actually where the gospel is. This is where, what you need the gospel for, um, because there is nothing on earth that will be able to like fill that void and change your heart. Right. So that those desires are, are, are taken away or, or done away with mortified. And the final thing we talked about is the kind of pastoral care aspect of this, of that this, I think, was attractive because there were lots of millennials, Gen Z, with these kinds of questions that Driscoll was willing to, to uh, obviously address. Now, we don't think helpfully, right? Giving wrong answers is bad. But Pastor Michael, what did you say just a little bit about the pastoral care of coming into the lives of probably newly married people or, or young people. Yeah. So we just talked about how, you know, there is, there is definitely a place to use um, strong language and to speak very bluntly about sex, about different sex acts and, and like, you know, these different elements uh, uh, of sex, like they need to be dealt with sometimes, Um, you know, a place to do that is in, you know, discipleship and counseling in a, in an intimate way, in a cautious way, in a way that is not uh, domineering or commanding, uh, but also like still trying to bring what the scripture does say into helping some of these things. And I think that this is where we discuss the importance of, of when we say, right, the, he's going beyond the scripture. That is something your pastor is actually not allowed to do. Your pastor is not allowed to make a command that is not Yes. out of that because this is where christian liberty exists yep and there are places that right so as a pastor i might say at times to somebody that you know is in premarital counseling oh well like these are you know things that my wife and i found helpful in in marriage how to love each other better here's some practical advice on child rearing or things like that now this isn't in the bible right like right. directly you know like i might have a biblical case for it but i can't command these right. things in the same way that that other things can be commanded um, and so there's definitely room for like just practical advice, right? Fatherly advice. Yeah. We, we are in a fatherless age. And so to be a father to some who need it, like that's a great and awesome thing. Um, however, it can, as we see right. here, like so easily be distorted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do not want to uh, discourage pastors from giving practical advice, right? What I, what I want to encourage our listeners who are not pastors like me is that your pastor will give you lots of good wisdom. But it is not a necessarily, you know, you, it could be uh, your house is out of order. You could be a lack of holiness, but the goal isn't right to clone the life, the marriage or family of the people giving you the practical advice. There's going to be a lot of it that's really helpful. And some of it is going to not. And, but what, but what it is, is if, if they're saying, here's what you need to do to um, not have sinful anger, we might call it conflict resolution. Well, maybe what they're talking about isn't as helpful. It doesn't mean you don't need to resolve anger in a, in, a, in a positive way. It just means you're going to do it differently. And that your pastor, what it is is saying is your pastor can't demand you resolve conflict in a singular way that isn't explicitly laid out in the Bible, which when it comes to even more intimate things like this is important. And so we're going to talk about two more things because we have, because of the bonus we did. We've went so long. So the final thing they do um, before they kind of, they proclaim their gospel solution, which get ready, folks, I'm not happy about, um, is they talk about the like Driscoll talking about the like temptations of women, 
wanting attention or these kinds this of things. This was a weird, yeah. And and we're not going to play those clips because we're running out of time. Pastor Michael, why why are you announcing this as a weird? So this is to me um, one of these things that like this goes in the category of the like machismo, like the building yourself up um, from like using your place of influence to like make yourself look like really good in some way. Sure. Um, one of the ways that men do that, I think, is by like telling these stories about how like, yep, women approach them and they, you know, so in this one, Driscoll uh, says that, you know, women would come and like put notes in his pocket while he's serving communion and like propositioning him to like yeah. meet them at their house and they'd cook a meal for him or whatever. And like, uh, and like insinuating that they would sleep with him. And like, that's just such a, number one, it's like, it, it seems so extraordinary like does that happen to some people it might um that's just like like men particularly in like really high profile positions sure it is true um that they will receive more attention from women and sometimes women that like are not it's not the kind of attention that you want right so could it be potentially true i don't know i'm, I'm just not even gonna it's it's such a weird thing even if it did happen to like share from the pulpit yeah to like share as a story and then there was the story about uh, i can't remember who said it do you remember who was it it's one of the kind of well-known evangelical guys um who james dobson it was james dobson and it was this story about how he saw a woman just look at him from a from car, a car window and then pull down a different street and he knew that she was like propositioning him not today satan and he decided not to do it what you know like he like was lifting himself up that is such a weird like yes that if i hear that it makes me think you have a really like unhealthy um like over abundant like sexual desire of some kind that you like you or or like you see you, sex in such an inordinate way that you're seeing it literally everywhere. So every woman you see, like when we talk about objectifying women, you are, you're literally just seeing women as like these temptresses that are trying right. to get you to have sex that, with them all the time. Which, which again is, is this, this is actually a really important, uh, maybe final distinction. I don't know if any of those things happened. Ha I'm just, I'm just going to say, I don't, maybe I can't say this. I, I don't, that didn't happen. I don't know if that happened once, right. He tells repeated stories of it. I'll say this. If those things happen to Driscoll, that is very different than the weird James Dobson story. Yeah, well, and that's because, what I'm saying. Like that because, James Dobson one, that definitely didn't happen. Well, what, that's I'm, what I'm saying. Well, no, I'm saying I'm not. No, I think it's very possible he pulled up to a light stop and went, "Wow, I guess." You know, like I don't. Oh, even, I think he maybe thought. Yeah, yeah, he thought that. But I don't oh, think no, that some not. woman just looked yes. at him out of a car, having yes. not known him, not not ever seen him before, and said, "Come on down this alley." Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, that didn't happen. With her but, eyes, right? Just yes, by looking that's, at it. That's why I think it totally, I think that happened. But what I'm saying is that what Dr the stories Driscoll tells, if happened, are actual examples of a man um, being faced with temptation to adultery, which obviously exists. Yep. Obviously exists in the world. It's something Proverbs talks about is a warning that Proverbs gives. And James Dobson's insane paranoid yes woman objectifying view of the world now i don't know if those things with driscoll happen now this is where this is where we begin to cut the like the very what you know what we talk about with these things like the mike pence rule men not wanting to be alone with them there is a a way where that i think is wise and a way where i actually think that there is and i and i under even i understand the reaction that there is such a belief that we can never we cannot really ever, like, 
exists. We cannot engage with women or women with men that, that essentially sex is on the table, that this is a, that this is somehow playing a major role in our interaction. This makes complete sense in such a like hyper sexualized culture, right? Where everything is sexualized, everything is sexualized, right? It makes sense that there would be like a reaction against that, whether or not it's a healthy one, like, or if it goes too far, well, it probably will, but it's like, it makes sense that that would come about. And, And I think that going too far is the, is, is one of the jumping off points for many women of the recovering from biblical masculinity and femininity is that it is, it is, it, it's so, it so polarizes things and makes men and women's relationships so exclusively about sex, right? It's like, it's like the ideas of pornography are actually the world And, and that women especially find that really, really off-putting. Uh, I, I mean, and it is off-putting and, it, and, and it's right. The idea that like um, you, that a pastor could never counsel a woman. Now I'm not saying there aren't boundaries that need to be watched and carefully practiced in doing so, but the idea that, that that is just off limits. Well, they, women do need a pastor to ask questions to, to be able to do that too. Now in a safe and appropriate manner, right? That there are, there are plenty of ways to do that. But I, I, I mean, I just think that this is a, is a, is a massive problem. And the, and again, why do we tell the crazy Jane Dobson story with Driscoll stories? Again, is because I think we're trying to sync complementarianism with all of this freight. Yep. So all of, let's pull out the worst clips the ugliest things you can think of about this. And we're now going to peg this to complementarianism itself. And and the very idea that there could be such a thing as biblical masculinity. And here's the deal. I actually think James Dobson's story of a man seeing a woman all wondering if she's interested in me, wondering what she's thinking about me. I actually don't think that is that insane of a story. Now, the insanity of the story is that he said, and I prevailed in the Lord that day, that this was my big not today Satan moment. No, like the actual part of that is you need to reflect on your own lust at that point. This is a you problem. This is a, this is, this is your sin. This is showing, right? And has probably almost nothing to do with the other person, these other women, um, you know, around you. Yeah. We've talked about projection before, right? Yes. So there, there's this projection, this projection on the one side of like somebody who's just so into gender politics, everything is seen through that lens. And so they assume everybody else is just doing that same thing. Here's another projection, this right? So projection. a man who is so, um, you know, uh, overly sexualized in his own mind, uh, like he, he's going to look at everybody else and probably assume they're doing the same things. They're thinking the same way. Right. And and again, I think that this is a this is likely a common struggle of men that probably should be addressed. Now, so as we come to the end of this, here I just I had written down a few of the uh, contributors they had comment on this thing. So we had the woman who wrote the book Jesus Feminist. We had Rachel Held Evans. We had a feminist pastor, a female pastor, and the woman who wrote Jesus and John Wayne. John Wayne. What I'm telling you is that. I mean, I don't even know how how much more strongly, how much longer we could have spent like 
explaining all the things we thought along the way that were bad. But what I'm telling you is the reason they're doing this, right? It's, this is the, this is, if we are, if Pastor Michael and I for the last hour have been declaring war on a really unhealthy kind of sexuality that was in new Calvinism, and these people are too, this is in World War II. We are, we're going to make ourselves the United States because we are Christian nationalists in that way. And they can be the Russian Soviets. We're not allies. We're co-belligerents. Right. We're helping each other with this particular problem. Um, but it, that's that's where our paths need to part. Yeah. And we have almost no, yeah, motive, we have almost no shared motivation in why we're doing so, probably. Now, they ask at the end of this, and before we we play the final clip, they ask at the end of this, this question where they're trying to like, Throughout the conundrum, is all of the like good things that were done at Mars Hill worth this? And again, so we took the feelings one earlier. Now we're taking the like results thing. This is not a conundrum. The question is not, did this work, even if it had some bad things, or if it worked, but it had these bad things. Though this isn't a debate I have to have. I can just ask, what has God's word said? And and did they do that? Yeah, so you can just go to, there are things that scripture speaks that were said from yeah. the pulpit at Mars Hill. And they're good things because it's what God has said. Right. Um, now, did Mark Driscoll add his voice at times? Yeah. Or even say that he was speaking for God when he was not? Right. Yes. Okay. And, and that is problematic. But the word of God, it doesn't matter if you see things, including the word of God through kind of modern gender politics. It doesn't change the goodness of the word of God, right? God's word doesn't care in that sense, right? It like, like you, you don't have an effect on it. Um, you, you don't get to change it simply because you don't like some part of it. And so here's the deal. So this episode is obviously heavy. It was heavy for us. That episode they made is heavy. They decide to leave kind of people with a, um, a, a, a note of hope, a, a hope from the gospel. So pastor Michael, I just want to ask you, we're going to play this clip. You tell me if this is the gospel that they leave people with. But the promise of the gospel is that one day, justice will roll like a river, and the dignity that's theirs as image bearers will suffer oppression no more. Mama told me being a woman was hard and she wasn't lying. Your daughter argues with lions to bear fruit. I tear through Good beats, man. Uh, please, if you're a musician, send us your music that we can use. We'd love, we'd love to use some of it. Pastor Michael, was that the gospel? Uh, no, no. <laughs> so, um... You know, at best, you could say this is like, you know, a fruit of the gospel someday, right? In, in the new heavens and new earth, when Christ returns, when, when he's victorious over every last enemy, um, then it is true that uh, female image bearers of God will be glorified in his presence. So the, that's right. The two things he said, the promise of the gospel is that justice will roll and that the people will be given the dignity they've been denied. What? Yeah, no. So, and this is so sad because um, at the end of this, like we've been talking about, like there's such a need for the gospel on yes, all accounts. Yes. There's a need for the gospel that for those people that like us were going to Driscoll because he had these definite answers and, and he was saying things that no one else would say. And we were looking for something. We were looking for an answer. And uh, there's uh, like the gospel is needed for those who have this, like, like this slavery to sin where they have this inordinate desire and they're constantly trying to fill it, but they can't fill it with anything. 
um, right? Like it, it, it's not enough. It just keeps wanting more and more and more. And they're looking for some way out. And the gospel there is not that, you know, uh, that marriage is going to fix this. So then it's like, well, we need something. Um, the gospel is needed for those who are like, hey, I was in these abusive situations and I was abused in some way, or I was, you know, coerced to, coerced to do these horrible things. Uh, by these, you know, evil people. And like, I don't know what to think of myself or like what to do with that now. And like, I don't know what to do with the fact that the world is sinful. And like, I just don't know what to do with all this. Like everybody here needs the gospel. Everybody needs to hear that Jesus Christ, the son of God took on flesh and he lived a righteous life that literally none of us have, as we've just spent this whole time discussing. Right. Uh, And that he died and he bore the sins of every single one who would believe in him. So if you believe in him, uh, he bore your sin so so much so that like you die in Christ, you are in Him. When He dies, you die, right? And so the the wrath of God against your sin, the shame that you feel, the the guilt that you hold, all of that, He bore it. He took it, and He took it into the grave, and then He rose again in power over it, and ascended on high from where He gave us His Holy Spirit, by which He sanctifies us. And someday will glorify us, right? right. Someday, someday there will be a perfect and complete uh, end to all of this. Uh, but even now it has already begun in his death, burial, and resurrection. But like, this is where there's hope, right? This is where there's hope. Uh, this is where there is hope in broken marriages, in abusive situations, in, in you know, those who are, are dealing with lust and uh, the, the, you know, outcomes of, of sinful actions uh, in all of it. That's what you need. You know, this is what we need. And instead we get, you know. Yeah, we get, we get that. I mean, yeah, justice is going to roll down. And that is actually for sinners. That's actually pretty bad news. Very bad news. Because the, all the nice, all the nice people they interviewed are going to be crushed if not for Christ. Right. And it is good news that for the lustful men that Jesus is breaking the power of sin. Right. That Jesus paid the penalty of sin and Jesus will remove the presence of sin. That is me being a, what we call a good Baptist preacher. Cause that is three P's three points. That's three points and three P's. Right. But I, it's how I remember it, but there is so much good news and hope there. And we leave it with this almost pandering, just almost pandering. Like guys, Jesus, if this made you want justice, if you, if this made you want Driscoll's, and every complimentarian's man's head on a platter, someday you'll get it. And women will be given the dignity they've lost, right? Like, that's not the gospel. Like, even, even the idea, like, that. this is what we've, we've already talked about this. this is, those are good things. It's, it, those aren't bad things that justice will be done. But I think that, right, again, maybe we come back to the final point of projection, and maybe we should have just left it at the gospel. But I think what it is, is it's the belief that, complementarianism, right, we come to complementarianism based on the cultural trends I see occurring. And why is it projection by Christianity Today and Mike Cosper? Why is that projection? Because Christianity Today and Mike Cosper, who was a new Calvinist, who was involved in these circles, you all did jump on board on complementarianism and have had complementarians write and many of these people endorsed Driscoll's books and all of these things. And he spoke in all these places and you did it to jump on a cultural trend. That is why this is again, the final, the third, the coup de gras of, of projection, because you 
are now jumping off board as, as, and offering hope in that you do it to jump on another cultural trend and saying that that's what all of this was. No, we, if we, I don't know. You never change. You never change. You never change. The, and, and that's, again, all of these things have always been underlined by so many of the same motivations that have just continued to exist. There is nothing new under the sun. Pastor Michael, th- thanks for joining me here today. Yeah, it was maybe a long one. Uh, there was there was a lot in there, but hopefully it is helpful. Did we, you know, walk the tightrope well? Maybe not. Maybe I don't not know. We, we maybe did it all the time, but if we, we tried. Did, if we didn't, we're sorry. That's right. So, hey, uh, if you have any questions or thoughts about this, please reach out to yep. us and we'd love to talk more. Get our Twitter to 100 followers. It's at Restless Podcast. Uh, it's with one S because... We're bad Good at work. social media. <laughs> Good work, us. <laughs> and uh, the other ones were taken. So uh, <laughs> restless with one S. Rest at Restless Podcast. Uh, you know, check the check the show notes. Get yourself a restless sticker. Share us with share this with a friend that's been listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. <laughs>